Turn with me to the letter to Titus, chapter 2. Titus, chapter 2. We'll just be reading a short uh, portion from chapter 2, um, but a little introduction. The letter of Titus, written to, by the Apostle Paul, um, tells us that um, Paul was mentoring Titus, and he left him in Crete. We read about that in chapter 1 to set in order things that uh, need to be taken care of in the churches uh, in that region. Um, and so this whole letter is just various instructions that Paul is giving to Titus uh, about how to conduct himself and the things to teach and so forth. And uh, we're going to pick up in verse 11 of chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul um, gives a synopsis of the gospel message. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Let's stop our reading there. I came across this uh, passage uh, recently, or it came to mind recently, and I love this in particular because it's somewhat of a, a unique description of the gospel message and the fruit uh, that the gospel brings. Um, this was just after the Apostle Paul gives Titus some instructions about behavior and how to teach that and, and various things like that. Um, and then he go- goes into this, the reason why we are to behave in these ways, sound speech and servants to be obedient and um, good fidelity and so forth, is because of, and then he lays out this reason here, the grace of God that bringeth salvation. And so if we unpack these uh, few verses, we'll find that there's a lot of depth here that connect to a number of other scriptures uh, as well. Um, And so let's look at the grace of God. The grace of God is something that is undeserved. It's something that he extends to us uh, out of his good pleasure. Uh, because he desires uh, to do so. There's the, in the first song that we sang uh, tonight, the last verse um, connects to this. Grant us favor in thy sight. So this is a statement to God, like a prayer to God. And again, this is appealing to his grace. That's just another phrase of asking for the grace of God. Give us favor. The grace of God is some type of favor When you do somebody a favor, it's not something that's obligated. It's not something that is deserving. um, It's not something that's required. In a sense, it's like over and above expectations is one way to describe that. Uh, Grace of God. That bringeth salvation. So there's a target to this grace of God. The grace of God is broad and a big subject. It applies in many different ways. Here, he's describing it particularly targeting salvation being saved. Um, and then we look at, well, saved from what? Um, he describes that in a little bit more detail in chapter 3 as he continues on about descriptions of behavior and teaching and so forth. 
Uh, and he says here, and he describes what they were like or what we were like in verse 3 in chapter 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures. Uh, diverse is just a, a word that means various lusts and pleasures. Living in malice, that's an evil intention, and envy, hateful, and hating one another. That's a pretty sad existence, what he's describing here, and this is the kinds of things that the gospel saves us from when we believe. It transforms our life. Uh, And so he says, this is what we were like before. But after the kindness and love, so this kindness connects to the grace of God. That's another word of describing the grace of God, being kind and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Another phrase describing, he's really reinforcing this idea. This is not something that we deserved. It's not that we did some good things here that then God gives us salvation because we did some good things. It's by his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Uh, Regeneration, this washing is referring to cleansing, being cleansed from our sins, and uh, regeneration is being made new. Uh, not just um, improved, shall we say, improved behavior, improved thoughts, um, but made new. Transformation is another word that describes that. And renewing of the Holy Ghost. This is done by the Holy Spirit's work uh, in uh, the life of the believer. Which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So there's some reoccurring themes here that he has described again that we had just read about earlier in the end of chapter 2 that we'll pick up on a little bit later. And so he reinforced this idea here of what we have been saved from by his mercy, by his grace. The grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, universally made available. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that every human on earth has is aware of the gospel message. We know that that is not the case. Um, the gospel has not been spread everywhere in the world. There are many missionaries and mission organizations that are working hard to do that um, and making progress. Um, but in this sense, the, the phrase all men means just in generally widespread available. Many different kinds of people. And certainly in, even in that time of the known world, shall we say, or of the civilized world or the organized world, um, the gospel had been spread by this time quite far and wide. Then he gets into another point here about teaching us. So this grace of God not only brings salvation and saves us, but this grace teaches us. And have you thought of grace in those terms? that the grace of God teaches, and why? How, how would that apply? So when you think about it, if someone reaches out to somebody that um, is in a type of need and in ignorance, and suffering in some form of ignorance, um, let's say they um, maybe there's a health problem, 
And there's a simple solution. It just requires some knowledge and then acting on that knowledge. But if someone doesn't have that knowledge, they can suffer for a long time, missing maybe a key piece of information. Um, and they're in a state of suffering. And if someone reaches out with kindness or grace and undeserved favor, there's no obligation maybe for someone to share this knowledge to someone else, but they just do out of kindness or love, out of human compassion. Uh, and so... By them acting on that knowledge, it can teach them. So this aspect of teaching uh, can be gracious. And so the Apostle Paul connects the grace of God in terms of salvation. But part of the necessary, in order to be saved, one must be taught the gospel, teaching us. And so he uh, gets into what is it teaching here, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. This is another phrase for repentance. Describing what needs to change. That a person does need to change uh, in order as part of being saved, as part of being converted and transformed, is uh, involves repentance. If we will pick up on the rest of this verse a little bit later, if we look here in how this happens, as he says here, who gave himself for us in verse 14, talking about Jesus, that he might redeem us from an all, all iniquity. So this salvation is a work of redemption that Jesus does for us. Uh, he gave himself for us. He gave himself on the cross to redeem us from all iniquity. We can look at this word might here um, in, in two ways. It's not in the sense that if we believe in him, we might be saved. That's not what it means here. Might as in a maybe or perhaps we might be saved. Uh, this is that he, we will be saved uh, when we believe. But it requires, in a sense, there is this condition that it's not universally, unconditionally saves everyone. Just the fact that he died on the cross doesn't mean the whole world is saved. One needs to believe and trust in him and follow the teaching that we had just talked about earlier, the teaching of repentance. Redeem us, buy us back, save us from all iniquity. Now this word all is important here. It's not just some iniquity and he partially cleanses us and sets us in a good direction, but redeems us from all iniquity. The the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is sufficient to cover every sin that ever existed. There is no need to doubt that uh, someone, and some, sometimes the enemy uses these kinds of lies, uh, that uh, a person has gone too far in sin and uh, no longer can be saved, that uh, Jesus uh, wouldn't want to deal with such a dirty, messed up sinner as I. Um, I've heard that statement said from people, and that's a lie from the enemy in order to try to keep people in that uh, state of uh, dis- sin and destruction. His grace is sufficient. His uh, The shedding of his blood on the cross, uh, the atoning work of him for our salvation is sufficient for all iniquity. And purify unto himself a peculiar people. Now this word, sometimes uh, as we would use this word now, it's a little bit different than how it's used here. Peculiar sometimes would mean um, odd or weird um, p- people. And in one sense, the world may look at Christians in that way. 
Um, and certainly in the time of the uh, Roman Empire, there were all kinds of false impressions or false ideas and lies spread out uh, about Christians um, that I had become familiar with in reading a little bit of Christian history. You know, there, there was a misunderstanding that they thought Christians were cannibals because they would eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus Christ symbolically in taking communion. And that was misunderstood. And so one of the false ideas was spread that uh, the Christians were cannibals. Like, can you imagine having that kind of a false reputation? Uh, they were uh, considered atheists of all things. You wonder, well, how, how on earth could they have a charge of being atheists? Well, because... Uh, polytheism, meaning believing in many gods, was prevalent in that time. And for someone to believe only in one god, they would consider that um, in, in the category of atheism. Or maybe they used that word differently uh, in, in that time. But that was a word that I had read, that Christians were described as that. So there would be all, And so certainly they would have been thought as very odd people, very strange uh, in that sense. Um, but the translation here primarily means more special people and a special possession that God has saved us for a purpose and there's a specialness, there's a set apartness for those who believe whom God has saved, those who have trusted in him for salvation and repented uh, of their sins. And he describes the type of specialness here is zealous of good works. There's a target um, shall we say, or an object to his gift of salvation and transformation that we become zealous of good works. Not just um, occasionally practicing good works, but passionate. Uh, uh, the message this past Sunday talked about passion. And so passionate in good works. So those who are believers here tonight, are you passionate about good works? How passionate are you about good works and how much is that aligned with your main mission in life, in demonstrating the transformed nature that God has given you by demonstrating it in good works? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we, that's repentance, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Going back to verse 12 here. There's a, a self-denial required as part of being transformed, as part of repentance. Because we exchange, we deny that which is destructive anyway, that which is not profitable for real meaningful life. Meaningful life, Jesus defined as eternal life, as a relationship with the Father, to know the Father and the Son. That's how Jesus described it in his high priestly prayer and in John 17, he says, And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. We deny the things that are unprofitable in order to make room, shall we say, for those things which are uh, eternally more beneficial. And worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. More descriptions of what a transformed life looks like. Uh, soberly means someone that's serious and in control, as opposed to opposite, being under the influence of something, under the influence of alcohol, under the influence of substances that take away the clarity of our mind. Um, God, one of the things that uh, the transformed life that God does is to renew our mind, be transformed by the renewing of our mind, the Apostle writes in another scripture. 
Righteously, meaning doing that which is good instead of that which is evil. Godly, representing God in this present world. There's a present component to our living. And then he moves on to a future component, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And so we live joyfully in the present and also with a meaningful living hope of future glory of God and Jesus Christ appearing in the second coming and then uh, we meeting up uh, with him. And so in a sense, this these few verses sum up um, encapsulate a, a quite a wide spectrum of the gospel message. It describes where we've come from, describes the transformation, and describes the hope uh, that is to come. There's another scripture I'd like to uh, connect here, and this uh, deals with this present world. Because remember, we talked about grace that saves, grace that teaches, and uh, there's a third component um, that I'd like to touch on here that connects with uh, verse... 7 here in chapter 3, being justified by his grace. So being justified by his grace, we're typically thinking of terms of being justified by faith. We, maybe many of you have memorized Romans 5.1, right? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But here he says justified by his grace. And so we see that justification uh, includes uh, a broader spectrum of things uh, than just faith, shall we say. Well, faith is certainly important, and the fact that we can be justified by faith is because God has reached down to us by his grace and given us the gospel message. But it goes on to say here, if we uh, jump to Romans 5 for a moment here, into verse uh, 2, gives us another picture uh, of uh, verse 2 and 3 of what grace does by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. So we are saved by the grace of God, we are taught by the grace of God, and we stand in the grace of God. And so this, I would understand this speaking to, shall we say, daily living now, beyond just the experience of salvation and conversion, of course, requires the grace of God, but daily living, the fact that we can stand in His grace and stay saved, and walk in good works, and be rich in good works, and be zealous in good works, and so forth, where we stand in his grace. And so by his grace, he also upholds us and uh, enables us to stand. So it's an enabling grace. And rejoice, so there's this aspect of rejoice in hope of the glory of God, this future glory of Jesus returning again. And we can see what this produces here, then. We uh, rejoice in tribulations. Glory rejoices of synonym for that in this case. In tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh, makes not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, uh, who is given unto us. And so we see here, for the believer... When we face tribulation, he says here, and he says it in very strong language. In a sense, I would call this um, predictive language or deterministic language in the sense that this produces this. For the true believer, tribulation works patience. 
and patience, experience, and experience, hope, and so forth. And so we don't have to be afraid um, uh, when we stand in His grace that God is able to continue to make us stand even in the face of any kind of persecution or difficulty. His enabling grace uh, enables us and inspires us to persevere and to uh, continue on uh, serving him and uh, living joyfully. So for those who are here that are not yet saved, the gospel message goes out again, has gone out again, and poses some questions to you. Where is the level of your faith? Do you trust in the grace of God? And the grace of God, in a sense, is a, uh, an inexhaustible subject. You, won't, um, you don't need to wait to fully understand it before you can proceed forward with faith and trusting in the level that you do understand. We encourage you, I encourage you, by the grace of God, to believe. As he calls out to you personally, we, have, we serve a personal God. The, the transformed work that he does in us, that just the extension, the offer of salvation, is an outflow of his character. That of one who is love, one who is mercy and grace and just and righteous and desires the salvation of all and the re- relationship uh, to be developed. That is an outflow of his character. And that is then a transformation of your identity when you believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. And then the outflow <coughs> of good works is as a result of that transformed identity. Sometimes there may be the temptation, shall we say, um, or the tendency to, um, if you say, uh, circumvent or short-circuit this process or this journey of salvation, thinking it's all about reforming one's behavior. Um, I need to talk better, need to act better, um, need to be a better person, uh, and so forth. And one can, to a certain degree, do that with without the grace of God. If one wants to do it by themselves, one will have a, a measure of success, but it won't be lasting. It won't. It's not transformative. Um, and so that's not the kind of salvation that the Bible speaks about here is uh, just being a better person, but being a transformed person and having that meaningful relationship uh, with our Lord Jesus Christ, a transformed identity. And you can see that connection is what flows out of God's identity is the gift of salvation, transforming our identity and then our behavior and our thoughts and our actions flow out of that transformed identity because we have been transformed and changed to the core. For someone that has not been changed to the core, when persecution comes along, they're not going to last because they don't have a new nature. And so our encouragement, uh, the encouragement this evening is to uh, call upon the name of the Lord, trust in Him, and reach out to Him And in response, he's the one that reaches out to you first for the gift of salvation, for transformation, and believe in faith. Repent from your sins. Turn to him, and he will transform you. And then you will receive the the new life 
And that blessed hope that he speaks about. Hope is something that is so powerful uh, as it's a, a, an assurance. Uh, we have a sure hope. The Bible, there are people that hope for things that are unrealistic. Um, that certainly happens, and then hopes are dashed. Uh, but a hope in the glorious appearing of God is not an unrealistic hope. We don't know when that will come. So, of course, if you attach a timeline to that hope, saying, well, I hope... Um, and you really count on that hope it's going to be in my lifetime or within a certain uh, time frame, uh, well, then you may be, may be disappointed because God's timeline um, is not going to line up with yours. You can be sure of that. Uh, but to trust in the hope of Jesus Christ of when it's his timing to come back, uh, that is a hope that will be fully realized. May we hang on to that hope and by the power of Jesus, live the things that he's called us to do. Amen.